Welcome to Light Treason News, everyone. Pop culture, politics, and a sprinkle of treason. I'm not going to beat around the bush today. It's me, your host, Allison Kilkenny. Hello. I hope you're all well. I hope you're all thriving. I hope you're all uh, treating yourselves today. It's a Saturday I'm recording the show, or if it's a Sunday you're listening to it. Hopefully you hear it on the weekend. Hopefully you're having a relaxing time. Uh, here's how the show works. If you've never heard it before, I'm going to offer some pop culture recommendations in the first third of the show. I like to start things off by explaining things in math terms. This show is divided into thirds. First third is pop culture recommendation, just shooting the shit, bullshitting if you will. The second third, that's two-thirds for you math heads out there, is your bad news section, where we're going to talk about, and by we I mean myself, talking to you. You can talk back to me, I won't hear it, but feel free. This is a, it's a real flow we've got going on the show. We, uh, we talk about the bad news, and then we end things with the good news. So we send you out into the rest of your day on an up note, which is great for everybody, right? Hello, everyone. I am not going to lie. The reason I'm hosting by myself today is I didn't uh, book anybody to co-host with me. So, uh, and I was also out very late last night. So if I sound groggy, that's why. Is that enough prefaces before we dive in? I think so. Guys, should I get Disney Plus? This is a genuine question. So feel free to reply to me hashtag light treason pod on the Twitter. That is always your best bet to uh, me seeing your comments, questions, concerns. We're also on Facebook and Instagram, but not going to lie. If you leave comments there, I will see them eventually. I don't know when, but uh, if you want me to reply in a timely fashion, Twitter is your best bet. So let's talk about Disney+. Plus. I just, at this point, I'm like, how many different streaming services am I going to subscribe to? Although, having said that, mm, the ones I pay for are Netflix and Hulu. The ones whose accounts I'm sharing with other people are HBO and Amazon Prime. Uh, and, but at this point, it's like, now I gotta get Disney Plus? But I think I have to, because I'm like, I want to see The Mandalorian, obviously. But also, they got the original X-Men cartoon series. Come on. Come on. I dare you to not do the whole song when you hear a little bit of it. I got to watch that. So I think I'm getting Disney Plus. Do you have Disney Plus? How do you like Disney Plus? Are you enjoying it? What did you watch? What's the first thing you watched? Hashtag light trees and pot. Or are you not getting it and you think the whole thing's a scam? I want to hear about that as well. Because uh, here's what's going to happen, right? It's going to follow the same exact pattern of the giant cable companies, which is they're going to start to merge, right? Like even right now, if you're a new user, if you've never had Hulu before, you can sign up for a Hulu Disney Plus package. So we're going to see more and more of that. They're going to start to buy each other. They're going to merge. And then we're going to have the same monopoly problems for streaming services that we have now with cable companies. 
that is what is going to happen. Write it down. So I don't know. I, of course I'm going to get it. Okay. Like why am I even pretending like I'm not going to, I'm going to get Disney plus because I have to watch X-Men. Uh, I have to watch Mandalorian and there's like other shit too. Disney opened the vault. So like, yes, I'm going to watch some of that as well. But man, they really cashed in on the nostalgia factor because people were freaking out about Darkwing Duck, uh, all of the old cartoons. They know. They know what we want. So I saw Doctor Sleep, everybody. And I think it's good. Um, the reason I'm like sort of <laughs> wading into this delicately is it, it tanked at the box office. Let's not dance around the obvious. It tanked at the box office. I think because... Um, they did a really bad job marketing this movie. Like, I know a lot of people who were like, is it a Shining sequel? When I told them I had seen it. So there seemed to be like some confusion about what it was. What Dr. Sleep is, is it's a movie directed by Mike Flanagan, who did Haunting of Hill House and is a great horror director. Um, and it is based on the book Dr. Sleep written by Stephen King. And Dr. Sleep was written as a sequel to The Shining, but also it was Stephen King's response to the Stanley Kubrick film, The Shining, because Stephen King really hated <laughs> Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. He thought that Kubrick completely butchered the book, completely misunderstood what it was supposed to be about, because, you know, Kubrick was, he prioritized plot over characters, basically. He was in love with the idea of this hotel and I think he wanted to tell a visual story and he wasn't so much concerned with the, the characters. I love the shining. I love the film. I think it's one of the most beautiful things ever filmed. I know it's overly long. I know there's like slow parts of it, but I, I love it. I watched it so much as a kid, a weird amount. When I tell people that they're like, you watch that a lot as a kid, that's fucked up. And I'm like, I know. And also it explains a lot. Um, but Stephen King, who has always prioritized characters over plot, hated it. <laughs> and, it, like, I get why, because uh, that was not what he envisioned uh, in the book. So he wrote Dr. Sleep as sort of a response to, okay, let's get back to the characters, because that's what this is supposed to be about. And this is really about, like, Danny's relationship with his mother. And, you know, like, relationships are important to Stephen King. So... I will say this. I think Dr. Sleep, the movie, the film, is uh, a lovingly told uh, interpretation of the book. And Stephen King has, like, stamped his approval on it. He, he's like, yes, this film understood what I was trying to accomplish in the book, Dr. Sleep. Performances. Amazing. Uh, Ewan McGregor is great as Danny. Um, he really goes on a journey with this character. I liked it. I think it was doing a lot. I, it feels like it should have been a miniseries on TV, but we didn't get the miniseries, so we got this film, and it is jam-packed. <laughs> like, I sort of went into it not knowing a lot about it. So I went in, and I guess I'll put a spoilers alert on this. If you don't know, want to know any of the plot details, skip ahead to the music cue when I'll get into bad news. Um, I won't give huge spoilers, but I, I do have to talk about some of the plot to explain my feelings on the matter. So I didn't know anything about it. I knew it was a sequel to The Shining, 
But the way the movie opens up, um, Danny's a grown man, played by Ewan McGregor, and it we are following him uh, as he experiences adult trauma, basically, from what he went through as a kid uh, and what happened in the hotel. And it is also him trying to come to terms and learn more about his powers and how he eventually learns to cope with seeing these ghosts and spirits by locking them into uh, essentially boxes in his brain. Uh, And that's how he's able to somewhat cope into adulthood, although he is like an alcoholic and addicted to drugs and it's all about like him going to AA. There's like multiple AA meetings (laughs) in this movie, which I kind of appreciated because I like when films dare to show recovery in a realistic way where it's like yeah he has to go to a lot to a lot of meetings he has a sponsor um and but I truly was like okay this will be it we're just gonna follow Danny then there is this wild b storyline of these like mist eaters they're the ones who are hunting the people who have the shining and they feed off of them they feed off of like they call it the mist that like lives inside them and if they kill them the mist comes out of their mouth and they like eat it in a very frightening way and the mist is purest when they're children when the people who have the shining are kids so it is straight up a bunch of adults hunting children and in at least one scene, I mean, the opening is bananas. They kill a little girl. But there's a very graphic scene in this movie where they torture and kill a little boy. And it goes on for a while. And I was I was sort of impressed by it because I was like, okay, and here's where they're going to cut away. Nope. We're still watching the kid get tortured. Now we're going to cut away. Nope. We're still watching. Like, they really committed to it, which I respect because it's like, okay, if the plot is that they hunt and kill children let's be faithful to that. Let's actually show how fucking terrifying that is. So yeah, it, um, that, so there's this wild bee storyline of, of these mist hunters or whatever you want to call them. And then I was like, okay, so this is going to be a movie. And then they go back to the hotel. And I was like, what? I like truly, I was so happy watching this movie because I thought it was going to be one thing, then another thing. And then they went back to the hotel and I was like, I'm on board. This is fucking awesome. Visually, it's a stunning film. There is one scene where there's a woman, uh, there's a lady with a hat. And um, that might seem like a superfluous detail, but it's not. The hat is like another character in this film. She's the head of like the Mist Eaters. And she's flying through the air hunting this little girl who has The Shining and it's visually stunning. Like I literally was sitting there and I said out loud, cool, because it is very cool. So I don't know. It's a fun film. I would give it a, a B minus. I would say Dr. Sleep gets a B minus for me. And that's not to say it's not fun. It's super fun. If you're a fan of The Shining, you'll probably really like it. Um, yeah, check it out. Why the fuck not, right? Who doesn't want like a fun after Halloween. Why is it after Halloween? I don't understand. But a fun after Halloween scary film. Let's do it, right? Guys, let's talk about Castle Rock since we're talking about Stephen King anyway. 
Oh, man, it's so good. So I binge watched it because it's on Hulu right now. For you Hulu heads out there, I swear I'll stop saying that it eventually. But I'm still going to keep saying it for a little bit. So I binge watched the first season and I was like, this is very good. Very good. And right now, I think there are about six episodes out for season two. Season two is still ongoing. There will be ten episodes in total. Man. Oh, Lizzie Kaplan as Annie from Misery is she should win an Emmy. If she doesn't win an Emmy, it's going to be a crime. She is doing such a cool mix of a spot on impersonation of Kathy Bates voice in Misery and her own interpretation on the character, which is very hard to do. So it's not just watching somebody do like a cool and like a cool voice like, you guys remember when Joseph Gordon-Levitt played uh, Edward Snowden? And it was cool. It was like, oh, he sounds just like him. But it was watching somebody do an, uh, an imitation. Like, you're a mockingbird. Like, you sound just like them. That's incredible. But you're not doing anything beyond that. Lizzie Kaplan is doing a spot-on interpretation or spot-on imitation of Kathy Bates in Misery. And then there's this extra layer of amazing acting where she like really embodies the character seasons or uh, episode six wow it just ends on a wild note and now I have to watch it like a normie with everybody else I can't binge watch it anymore but I'm really enjoying it if you enjoy the world of Stephen King if you really enjoy like all of these fun easter eggs where it's like oh that's from this story and that's from that story like you will love Castle Rock so check that out. Man, this is the Stephen King episode, and I am into it. Also, <clears throat> guys, anybody see the Under the Silver Lake? I want to talk about it. And I know I am. Hold on. Let's, let's Google right now. Let's see how late Allison is on this recommendation, because I famously do this sometimes. Oh, that's not that bad. It came out last year. Everybody shut up. I'm not that late. Anybody want to talk about Under the Silver Lake? I want to talk about this movie. It is so fucking weird. I don't even... Let's see how they tried to summarize it for, like, normies out there. Okay. This is the plot. Sam is a disenchanted 33-year-old who discovers a mysterious woman, Sarah, frolicking in his apartment swimming pool. Okay, that's technically true. When she vanishes, Sam embarks on a surreal quest across Los Angeles to decode the secret behind her disappearance, leading him into the murkiest depths of mystery, scandal, and conspiracy in the City of Angels. Okay, so that phrase, surreal quest, is doing a lot of heavy lifting in this summary because it is one of the strangest... I don't even know who how to describe this, and I know so many people were mad at this film because it is so strange... Which is how I knew I was going to love it. Because I love me a weird journey. So it's directed by David Robert Mitchell. Who is probably best known for having uh, directed It Follows. Uh, which is one of the best modern horror movies ever. And I think a lot of people went into this thinking they were going to get more it follows and it's not like that at all it's very strange and no point are you ever certain that what you're seeing is real um 
the the protagonist who is played by uh, Andrew Garfield superbly is a mentally ill young man. So we never know if the clues he's finding are real, if he's making connections in his head that are not real. We have no idea. Uh, He's also not a nice person. So there's not like a protagonist we can root for in this film. It is just a man on a bizarre journey. I fucking loved it. And I'm genuinely curious how people feel out there because I can also... It's one of those movies where I was like, oh, I bet people hated this and I kind of get it. But it's just on that that cusp between like, I hate this and this is fucking cool and I like this. It reminded me of like watching Twin Peaks. A lot of people, when Twin Peaks was on TV, even though I was a little kid when I was watching it, I was aware of other adults, you know, like friends of my parents, relatives who were like, that show's weird and I don't like it. I don't get it. I don't understand what's happening. And I get that because especially when we're raised on a diet of like linear storytelling and, you know, um, you know, watching sitcoms and where stories are very clearly fed to the audience and resolved by the end of an episode to watch something like Under the Silver Lake can be a frustrating experience. And I get that. Um, I really like it. I like watching something that challenges me a little bit. That's like, you might not understand this by the end of that, uh, by the end of this film. And that's okay. Um, I don't think there's any deeper meaning to it. I don't think we're supposed to like, uh, get anything from it other than we just went on a cool two hour ride roller coaster, you know, but I don't know. I, f- I feel like this is a movie that a lot of people haven't seen, <laughs> but if anything, I just said appeals to you. I'd fucking watch Under the Silver Lake. It's a super weird trip. That's what it feels like. It feels like we just went on a weird trip together. Um, and then if what I was talking about doesn't appeal to you at all and you're like, Allison, I just want like a feel-good comedy. I want to just like kick up my feet and laugh at a bunch of fucking funny people. Uh, go watch season five of Shit's Creek. It's fucking great. It's so good. I'm so invested in all of the characters now. Um, I David's storyline has made me cry multiple times. It's so good. It's so funny. David, come on. What don't you love about this show? And also, you can go binge watch five seasons of it right now. Every season flies by. It is just like a lot of people are getting sick right now. It's flu season. If you're a little under the weather, go eat some soup. Make a grilled cheese sandwich if you're vegan. Use Daya cheese. It melts really nicely. Um, and watch five seasons of Schitt's Creek. Or rewatch five seasons of Schitt's Creek. That sounds like a good fucking time. All right. If you had any uh, thoughts about any of my recommendations, hashtag Light Trees and Pod on Twitter. If you have any recommendations, always love hearing from you especially my $5 a month supporters or higher over at my Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny. If you are, as I said, a $5 a month supporter or higher, you can send questions, comments, recommendations to me over there, and I'll read them on Light Trees and News. And yeah, we always love getting recommendations from you guys, so please do send those. Guys, on that note, it's that time of the show. Let's all hold hands and cry. Here is your bad news.
All right, so I genuinely didn't know what to do with the impeachment hearings because I feel like it's a good news story that these witnesses have been brave enough to testify in front of Congress and are brave enough to do so even as like the president actively uh, bullies and intimidates them on Twitter. So I'm going to split it into bad news and good news because I think there are aspects uh, on both ends of the aisle. So in bad news, (laughs) I have to put how the media covered the first day of testimony in which two State Department officials, Bill Taylor and George Kent, um, detailed why they concluded that Trump's Ukraine policy was not about the national interest, but about digging up dirt on his political opponents, namely the Bidens. So the first day of testimony happens, um, I I think... uh, fairly devastating testimony from Bill Taylor and George Kent, who laid out in very clear terms that this was a personal political vendetta and actually jeopardized a lot of people's lives because when funding was thrown into the mix and the threat of pulling funding from Ukraine, um, as, as George Kent very clearly testified, this is when you are jeopardizing people's lives because Ukraine relies on U.S. military aid. Um, so the, the press covers uh, the first day of testimony, and they're not impressed, you guys. In fact, NBC News tweets out uh, this article and Uh, The tweet says, analysis, the first two witnesses called Wednesday testified to President Trump's scheme, but lacked the pizzazz necessary to capture public attention. Which at that point, I I don't know what that means, because uh, a lot of people watched the, the hearings. If they weren't watching, they were certainly following it in the news. So... I don't know what they mean by lacked the pizzazz. It seems like a very subjective thing. Like maybe this one person watching it was like, well, I wasn't entertained. Also, what are they fucking supposed to do? What? How do you deliver detailed testimony in a pizzazz-filled way? <laughs> Should they have been dancing? I mean, what do you want? A bow tie was worn. Was that not enough for you? Come on. Um... Yeah, I, I, I don't know. It was it was depressing to see it framed that way. Unsurprising, right? Um, but I put that in the bad news section because I was like, it was just a clear example of why we are at the point we're at, right? Where it's like not enough that these two brave public servants came forward to be like, we are here to piss off the most powerful man in the world because we believe in this government. We believe in our roles. We believe that we fought very hard to secure the futures of our allies. Um, However you feel about, you know, the U.S. funding foreign uh, government's militaries, however you feel about that, these two public servants felt like they were doing the most they could to protect people's lives. And they saw an abuse of power and in a very brave way stepped up to be like, 
this is bad. This is corruption. We want to testify about it. It will fuck up our lives, but we want to do it. That should be applauded, right? And instead, we're talking about pizzazz, <laughs> which is like, go fuck yourself. Uh, so that is why that is in the bad news section. I also wanted to talk about <clears throat> um, the release of this transcript of President Trump's first call in April with Ukrainian president-elect Zelensky. Um, and the reason these transcripts were released be was to ostensibly show that Trump had nothing but good intentions with his dealings with, with Ukraine. Um, but um, it also showed a White House summary of the same call released to the public shortly after it occurred was largely fabricated. So originally the White House released this call transcript to be like, see, nothing shady happened. Um, but it turns out that the White House really altered that transcript. The White House readout, a summary of the call released hours after it occurred, claimed Trump underscored the unwavering support of the U.S. for Ukraine's sovereignty and territorial integrity within its internationally recognized borders and expressed his commitment to work together with President-elect Zelensky and the Ukrainian people to implement reforms that strengthen democracy, increase prosperity, and root out corruption, which all sounds peaches and cream, right? But bad news. <laughs> Such statements are nowhere to be found in the transcript of the call released by the president on Friday. That transcript shows Trump congratulating Zelensky on his recent election win, promising to arrange a White House visit for him, and recounting the large numbers of Ukrainian women who participated in Trump's Miss Universe competitions. <laughs> I love that Trump can't even make a phone call to a president-elect to congratulate them without mentioning tit and ass. He can't do it, everybody. Nowhere in this transcript does Trump mention efforts to address Ukrainian corruption, economic prosperity, or democratic institutions. Nor does he even allude to its efforts to beat back the Russian occupation of the Ukrainian, Ukrainian territory of Crimea. Uh, the White House did not immediately respond to a request for comment <laughs> on those discrepancies to the Daily Beast. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, at every turn, we just see over and over and over again um, Trump didn't care about democratic institutions. He didn't care about the economy of Ukraine. Didn't care about any of that. All he wanted was to talk about tit and ass and to dig up dirt on his political opponents because those are the two halves of Trump's brain. It's like vendettas, who has wronged me, um, grudges, blackmail on one side of his brain and on the other side of his brain is tit and ass. And that's it. That's all that's happening in that head ever. Um, so it's laughable to say that he was ever deeply thinking about the democratic future of Ukraine. Uh, so also in bad news, we got to talk about Stephen Miller, right? Before I run out of time in the bad news section, we got to talk about some white nationalism, so, the White House is still standing by senior advisor Stephen Miller as he faces calls from dozens of Democrats to resign after newly released emails showed he circulated material linked to white nationalism to conservative media before joining the administration. Of course, this leak comes to us from the SPLC, the Southern Poverty Law Center, what, what, shout out, which has published summaries of hundreds of emails Miller sent to Katie McHugh, a former editor at Breitbart News. 
The emails contain links and references to far-right websites with much of the focus on immigration. The SPLC is planning to release additional emails in the coming days. So, of course, the White House is standing by him. And this is one of those things where it's, like, so not surprising, right? Uh, we know this about Stephen Miller. We we all had inferred this. Um, but it is an extra layer of frustration where it's like, now we have concrete proof, right? Here we have emails. We have more than 20 emails, um, at least that have been reviewed by The Hill, which show how Miller coordinated with McHugh to shape coverage at Breitbart in 2015 and 2016 by sharing with her stories from far-right websites associated with white nationalist viewpoints. So, for example, one exchange from August 2015 shows Miller expressing concern that Mexicans affected by Hurricane Patricia could be granted temporary protected status. Um, Miller wrote to McHugh, quote, that needs to be the weekend's big story, TPS, temporary protected status, is everything. Miller shared with McHugh links to InfoWars, a far-right site that promotes conspiracy theories, and VDARE, which publishes white nationalist ideology, according to the emails. Um, in another exchange from September 2015, Miller references Camp of Saints, a, a dystopian French novel that depicts the decay of Western civilization at the hands of immigrants. It's a huge reference by the radical right, Camp of Saints. Uh, this is me, Allison, telling you that. An email exchange from October 2015 shows Miller emailing McHugh with the subject line Oregon Shooter, an apparent uh, reference to the gunman who killed nine people and injured several others at uh, Umqua Community College. Miller writes that the shooter is of quote-unquote mixed race and quote-unquote born in England. Any chance of piecing that profile together more or will it all be covered up, Miller wrote. So, again, this is not surprising to anybody who knows Stephen Miller. Uh, we all knew this about Stephen Miller. It's just an extra fuck you that the White House now has fucking emails from this guy and they're still standing by him. But not surprising because they're a bunch of fucking racist white nationalists, right? Here's an interesting thing, though. Let's talk about Facebook a little bit. Because <laughs> Facebook still considers Breitbart News one of the legitimate news sources on its news feed. So... They're supposed to curate, like, the most trusted news sources for people uh, as part of their new bullshit endeavor to, uh, um, you know, make sure that fake news doesn't spread on Facebook. So they have, like, a list of trusted news sources. Breitbart's one of them, which is fucking ridiculous because how much, how much more proof do you need that white nationalists are pipelining information to them and that white nationalists work at Breitbart? They're not a trusted name in news. They're a fucking radical organization. They should be shut down. Also, because I'm recording a podcast in America and I'm talking about bad news, let's talk about another mass shooting that just happened. This one involves a 16-year-old who opened fire Thursday at a high school in Santa Clarita, California, killing two people and wounding three others. And the shooter afterwards, after the rampage, shot himself. He has now died of the self-inflicted gunshot wound. Uh, his name was Nathaniel Bershaw. And uh, according to reports, he is uh, a, an, either an Asian or an Asian-American young man. Um, of course, a young man. Always a young man. So his motives, at least right now, remain unclear, according to the sheriff's department. Um, so, yeah, another day, another fucking mass shooting. I just can't imagine being a teenager and, like, 
experiencing all of the normal stresses of being a teenager, you know, because high school is not fun for most people. You're stressing about a million different things. Uh, your grades, your friends, uh, all of the drama that happens in high school in a normal high school setting and then having to worry about like, and maybe I'll get shot today. Fun. So fun. And I just can't, I don't, here's what I don't understand. Okay. Like I think it's amazing that <clears throat> kids like David Hogg, um, you know, like use their trauma to go on and, and organize and all of that stuff. I think, they should be lauded and and it's amazing that they've pivoted that trauma into productive action. I think it's wonderful. I don't understand how there isn't another equal uprising and I know there has been for places like Sandy Hook and like god, the worst trauma you can possibly imagine your kid is gunned down when they're in school. Those parents have organized and I get that. I don't understand how there isn't another equal uprising of parents who are just afraid of their kids being shot like these parents who send their kids off to school and it's like I hope you don't get shot like why are you not fucking pissed off too and I, I'm sure there are many parents who are but like collectively organizing and 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 working to enact laws and regulations before your kids get shot and not just afterwards, after there's a massacre. Like, how do parents do this? How do parents send their kids to school when they can be gunned down? And why are you not fucking pissed off about it? And maybe you are pissed off about it, but then, like, go tell somebody about it. Like, because I'm not a parent. I'm child-free. And I, like, I, I feel really bad for these kids, but I can't imagine if I did have a kid and I sent them off to school, and I had to worry about that, and I, they have to worry about that. I would just be so fucking angry, you know? Like, how dare these lawmakers only roll out after a massacre to be like, thoughts and prayers, and then do nothing. Go fuck yourself. I don't know. I'm very angry in this bad news section, but I'm allowed to be because it's bad news. But it's the same fucking tragic play we keep watching every single time. The photos all look the same. Every single time something like this happens, there's just groups of like crying teenagers hugging each other and like an armed guard leading a line of students out of the school. Like we keep seeing the same imagery over and over and over again. Our country has descended into full on madness. We keep repeating the same things over and over and over again. Same results. And we're not even surprised anymore. This this shooting barely registered. It was trending for maybe a few hours on Twitter and now it's gone. And there will be another one and another one and another one and nothing ever fucking changes. And I feel like the most exciting, and I, I know that's a bad word, but like the most hopeful moment we had that something might happen was like every town, like a movement that arose out of yet another high school massacre. And it was because the kids were fucking done. They were pissed off and they were like, we are getting butchered at school and you don't care. You're not going to do anything because the NRA gives you money. And that was the most hopeful moment where it was like, it's going to be these kids. It's going to be these kids who saw their friends get fucking shot to death, who organize and and show up and don't leave until something happens. That's what it's going to take. Because now it's just so clear that it's not going to be the politicians, obviously. It's not going to be the NRA <laughs> having a come to Jesus moment. It's going to be people who 
saw their friends die. It's going to be people who are... we In the United States, we have mass shooting veterans. Do you know how fucked up that is? Where it's people who have been in multiple mass shootings. We now have that because there's been so many of them. And that that's fucking sick. That's when it's like something's got to change. Um, eventually, right? I don't know what it's going to take. I don't know how many times it's going to have to happen, but it can't sustain itself because we are in full-on lunacy at this moment. (sighs) Guys, speaking of denying things that are right in front of you, so Venice is completely flooded right now, um, more so than usual because Venice pretty regularly floods. It is a sinking city. Um... It's a very old city. It's surrounded by canals. It has been uh, sinking regularly. And we know that one day it will be gone. But this process has been uh, sped up by climate change. And lately, Venice has been flooding in really dramatic ways, unlike anything they've ever seen before. Uh, The water level is getting uh, really scary high. And if that wasn't bad enough... The Italian council um, (laughs) was voting on uh, measures on climate change. They voted to reject those measures on climate change. So they were like, eh, we're not going to do anything about it. Immediately after they vote to reject on these measures, they were flooded. (laughs) And there is, I'm sorry to laugh about it because it is really fucking tragic, but it's also uh, so, uh, it's like watching karma play out beautifully in real time. So Veneto Regional Council, which is located on Venice's Grand Canal, was flooded for the first time in its history on Tuesday night, just after it rejected measures to combat climate change. The historic Italian city has been brought to its knees this week by the worst flooding there in more than 50 years. Uh, And the council chamber in Fenofina Palace started to take in water around 10 p.m. local time as councillors were debating the 2020 regional budget Democratic Party Councilor Andrea Zanonini said in a long Facebook post, quote, ironically, <laughs> this is like the definition of irony, ironically, the chamber, the chamber was flooded two minutes after the Majority League, Brothers of Italy, and Forza Italia parties rejected our amendments to tackle climate change. Zanonini, who is deputy chairman of the Environment Committee, said in the post, who also has photographs of the room underwater, uh, yeah, it's it's one of those infuriating moments where it's like, I don't know if you are standing knee-deep in water, the worst flooding your city has seen in over 50 years, and you're still saying climate change isn't real, we need to stop trying to reach out to you, right? Because you are rejecting evidence that is in front of your face, and you don't have a brain capable of accepting reality, Whether that's because you are taking money from business interests and it's like in your benefit to deny it or you are just a denialist and there's no amount of reasoning, no amount of evidence that we can present to you that will change your mind. That is the point you stop reaching out to that person. Those are the people we have to leave behind. And that's not to say like they don't have a place in our society or anything like that, but you no longer sit at the big kid's table, right? Because you there's no communicating with you. So we we have to listen to the overwhelming majority of scientists right now. 98% of scientists, whatever the actual percentage is, we listen to the adults, right? <laughs> because 
they're the ones who are being rational. They're the ones who are like, we are killing the planet. We have to change our behavior now, today, in order to survive. Already we know millions of people are going to be displaced, killed because of climate change. At this point, we're trying to save the people we can. We can no longer wait for you, who are standing knee-deep in water, to wake up to reality. <laughs> because clearly you're not going to wake up, right? You've now, you're now physically standing in the, the result of your inaction, and you still refuse to listen. So that's where we're at with, with gun control, massacre prevention. That's where we're at with climate change. We got to sit the the little kids at the little kid table. We can't wait for them anymore, you know? Guys, on that note, that's enough of the bad. Let's end things on a positive note. Here's your good news. Okay, good news. Also having to do with the impeachment hearing, day two, Marie Yovanovitch, her testimony, and how tremendously brave she was to do that at a time when the president was harassing her on Twitter. Um, in real time, we got to see the president of the United States bully and intimidate a witness who was testifying before Congress. And for some fucking reason, this was legal <laughs> and he got away with it. Um, so, like I said, uh, Yovanovitch was testifying about being a, a career servant career ambassador, um, was speaking really passionately about how important she felt her job was, how seriously she took it, um, which is all the more uh, infuriating that she had to deal with any of this bullshit, including uh, slander about her performance as a public servant. The Trump administration was saying Outrageous stuff about her, including this tweet. This is what Trump actually tweeted. Everywhere Marie Yovanovitch went turned bad. She started off in Somalia. How did that go? Then fast forward to Ukraine, where the new Ukrainian president spoke unfavorably about her in my second phone call with him. It is a U.S. president's absolute right to appoint, appoint ambassadors, which is a that's the point that the Republicans keep hammering that the ambassadors only serve at the pleasure of the president, which is such a weird way to phrase that. But no one's disputing that. No one's saying that the president doesn't have the right to appoint and dismiss ambassadors at will. What they're saying is that it's like, why? The motivation for that is really important because that's where the corruption factor is at play. Is he pissed at Maria Ivanovich because she wasn't playing ball to dig up dirt on his political opponents? That's a huge problem. If that's why he no longer wanted her to serve, that's corruption. And and it's illegal. It's illegal to enact a quid pro quo with a foreign government and say, I'm going to keep military aid from you. Unless you dig up dirt on my political opponents, that's illegal. So it was incredibly brave for Marie Ivanovich to 
testify as the most powerful in the man in the world was basically berating her on Twitter. Um, so I wanted to play this clip because like for me, if there is eventually going to be a movie about this, if eventually the Trump administration goes under, or even if they don't, maybe, maybe like in retrospect years from now, when there is a film made about this, I feel like this moment will be in the movie. It's at the very end of day two of the impeachment hearing and representative Schiff, who's a a Democrat is sort of summarizing uh, the testimony they've heard that day. And the courtroom erupts in applause. And I think it's applause for Representative Schiff because I think he conducted himself really well throughout the hearings. I think he was a very clear leader as as committee chairman. I think that he did a good job. So I think some of the applause are for him, but I think most of the applause are for Marie Yovanovitch because she was so incredibly poised throughout this hearing, especially when representatives, Republicans, were very sexist towards her, dismissive. At one point, a representative, uh, Turner, got into not not got into it, was berating her and asked her a question, then wouldn't let her answer. And when... Um, Yovanovitch's counsel was like, she's trying to answer you, let her talk. He said, not on my time, you're done to her while waving his finger at her. And she stayed completely poised and just raised her eyebrows a little bit. Like, you know what? I've been dealing with male authoritarian leaders my whole life. I am not shook. (laughs) So she was just a a boss. Like, again, whatever you think of uh, the U.S. foreign policy in Ukraine, whether you think, like, arming the Ukrainian military is good or bad, she appears to genuinely believe that she was helping protect innocent people's lives and worked really hard uh, in her role doing so and has dealt with, I'm sure, endless bullshit from men her whole political or her whole career as a public servant. So I believe a lot of these applause were for her and the way she conducted herself as well. But anyway, it's an incredible moment. I think it's very telling. (laughs) Uh, Schiff turns off the microphone at one point and the Republicans are just losing their shit. I don't know. It's a very satisfying moment. And here's the audio from it. But let's underscore once again, while you are the beginning of this story... You're not the end of it, but nonetheless, the beginning is important because the beginning of the story is an effort to get you out of the way, an effort by Rudy Giuliani and Fruman and Parnas and corrupt Ukrainians like Lutsenko to get you out of the way because they felt you were an impediment to these political investigations the president so desperately wanted. Giuliani has made it abundantly clear he was in Ukraine on a mission for his client, for the president, to investigate the Bidens. And you were viewed as an obstacle that had to go, not just by Giuliani, but by the president of the United States. And if people had any doubt about it, they should do what the president asks, read the transcript. And what they'll see in that transcript is the president praises the corrupt. He praises the corrupt, Lutsenko. He condemns the just, you. And then he asks for an investigation of the Bidens. 
There is no camouflaging that corrupt intent. We are adjourned. Mr. Speaker, our speaker in condition. Mr. Chairman, you disparage those members on this side of the aisle. We should have a chance to respond to your disparaging remarks. Mr. Chairman, I demand or seek. Mr. Chairman. Mr. Chairman. Mr. Chairman. And of course, before I run out of time in the good news section, I also wanted to talk about uh, Roger Stone. Oh, Roger. Longtime advisor to Trump, found guilty on charges of lying to Congress about his contacts with WikiLeaks, obstruction, and witness tam tampering. Uh, guilty on all seven counts, five of lying to Congress, one of... Uh, one each of witness tampering and obstruction on Congress. Stone faces up to 20 years in prison for the tampering charge and another five for each of the other six counts. Of course, he can also be pardoned by the president. So it remains to be seen if that will happen. But at least right now, a deeply satisfying moment. CNN put up this graphic that I'll, I'll put up on our Instagram page. Whenever I talk about something with a visual component, Chances are you can see it over our, on our Instagram, which I really don't promote as much as I should. So, you know, please feel free to tag us on any posts over there. I will see them. Uh, share share the, the, the little Instagram handle so your friends will follow the show, stuff like that. So they have a very satisfying graphic over at CNN of all the Trump associates convicted or, or pleaded or who have pleaded guilty to crimes. So I just want to read some of those names right now. <clears throat> Roger Stone, Michael Cohen, Paul Manafort, Rick Gates, Michael Flynn, George Papadopoulos, gone but not forgotten. Just deeply, deeply satisfying. Also in good news, uh, I wanted to give a shout out to the protesters who interrupted Brett Kavanaugh's little fucking speech that he just had. Um, he was speaking at Antonin Scalia's memorial dinner. Wow, that just got extra funny. <laughs> I didn't know that's where he was speaking. <laughs> Hosted by the Federalist Society. Oh, wait, this just keeps getting better. <laughs> A conservative legal organization. That's one way to put it. Uh, so Kavanaugh reportedly was expressing gratitude uh, and lamented the consequences his friends have faced for publicly supporting him <laughs> in a nearly 30-minute speech. Uh, and this was interrupted by uh, a pair of protesters who... Uh, well, there were protesters outside as well, too, I should say. Um, and a massive video of Christine Blasey Ford's testimony was playing on repeat in front of Kavanaugh's dinner uh, guests as they waited outside, which was amazing. There was a giant banner reading Kavanaugh lied at the VIP entrance. Several people dressed as handmaids from The Handmaid's Tale. 
um, and chants of shame yelled at gala attendees who were waiting in line outside the event for over an hour. So they were just standing outside looking at all of this stuff. Um, Anti-Kavanaugh protesters shouting, I believe Ford, I believe Anita Hill, right in the faces of Federalist Society members as they were just stuck in line <laughs> waiting for this gala. Can you imagine paying to go to a gala? Do you pay to go to a gala or just get invited? Either way, they got all dressed up and they had to wait in line outside. And it was cold outside, guys. Um, and then inside, I guess a couple protesters... Um, were got in and were blowing rape whistles <laughs> while yelling we believe christine ford uh interrupting kavanaugh's speech it was just a shit show in the best way possible they wrecked that event good on you may these people never have another moment's peace just wreck it guys wreck it and they did in so many different creative ways. That's what's so great about this. It's such a, a, a layered, multifaceted attack. They were handing out fake programs documenting their criticisms of Kavanaugh. Ugh. Activist Kristen Mink posted video on Twitter of one such program, which enumerated allegations of various times Kavanaugh lied under oath. Ugh, I love it. I love it. You killed it, kids. You killed it. So... Also, how much time do I have? Do I have enough time to do this? That's the question. No, you know what? I don't. I don't have enough time. And I'm recognizing that I have time management issues. And we're not going to do that, okay? Guys, we're not going to do it. Uh, I want to hear from you guys. How did you feel about anything I talked about on today's episode? Um, do you have any thoughts, questions, concerns? I know there's some big stories I didn't get to, uh, get to in the bad news section, but... The goal of this show is to not overwhelm you with bad news because that's like the number one piece of feedback I get from people that there are other great progressive shows on the left that everybody um, admires very much, but it is a constant deluge of bad news and it really demoralizes them. So I try to balance things on this show, which is why we talk a lot about like dumb pop culture stuff, but also good news too because it's important to remember that Yes, things are very, 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 very bad right now. But uh, in all likelihood, it won't always be that way. And good things can happen too, right? There's always an upswing to a downswing. Um, and we're living in a backwards moment of history. <laughs> Those happen uh, pretty regularly. But they're usually always followed by uh, progressive moments too, right? So let's remember that. Let's remember that. Um, the kids are all right. This young, younger generation coming up is super woke, super pissed off, super motivated, um, furious at our leadership, and they should be um, furious at boomers. We're, we're all ragging on boomers right now, and we should be because they really fucked us. Um, but let's channel that anger into productive things, right? And take care of each other. Be nice to each other. If you see somebody who needs help, uh, you might be super busy. You might be late going somewhere. Uh, you can stop. You can stop and help them if they need help. If you feel safe doing so, of course. And yeah, if you think I should have talked about something, if you have something to say about something I said, if you have something to say about something I said, mm -hmm, that's what I said. Hashtag Light Treason Pod. You can also email us, uh, Light Treason News at Gmail. Man, I don't give out the email address a lot, as you can tell, because I can barely remember it. 
Facebook, you can leave comments. Instagram, you can leave comments. Tell your friends about the show. Honestly, I know some people have had to cancel support because time is are tough and I get it. I never want you to be contributing to the show if it jeopardizes you financially. That's not what this is about, okay? I want you to take care of yourself. Um, the free thing you can do is tell people about the show. Be like, hey, I listen to this great political comedy podcast. Sometimes there's a co-host, sometimes there's not. And Allison just rants in her living room like a lunatic, you know? But it's great, and I love it, and you should listen to it. That honestly is free and is probably the most helpful thing you can do. Also, just tweeting out the episodes of the show, being like, hey, they talk about this at minute X, and I thought it was really interesting or funny. That really helps as well. All that good stuff, guys. Uh, and I just want to say a general thank you to people who have been listening to me for way too many years. <laughs> um, maybe like a decade now. Isn't that bananas, guys, that you might have been listening to my voice for a decade? Uh, it's been really cool to see some of you like go through high school and then college and now you have a fucking job and you're like tearing shit up for progressive movements. Like that is very cool. It makes me feel like a thousand years old, but it's very cool and I'm very proud of all of you. And if, if you're stuck in a dead end job right now and you fucking hate your job and you feel like, uh, Allison, I'm, I'm not contributing. I'm proud of you too. You got to pay your bills. I do that too. I don't get to do what I want to do every day, but I'm I'm paying my rent and you're fucking awesome too. And you should never feel bad about that. Okay. Okay. I'm glad we settled that. Do you feel good? I feel good. All right, guys. Uh, also, you can follow me. I always forget to plug my own Twitter because I just assume you all already follow me, which is so arrogant. Allison Kilkenny on Twitter. Please follow me. I rant at length on the daily about politics, but also I'm just a, a funny person, too, so I have funny tweets over there. It's not always political. In fact, for my own mental health, oftentimes it's not political because <laughs> I don't want to talk about politics all the time. Isn't that weird? All right, guys. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your weekend. Keep thriving. Keep fighting. And while you're at it, get out there and cause a little trouble. <laughs>